that I was thinking about in preparation for tonight was uh, this last Friday when I was preparing my pot of chili for our church's uh, chili cook-off, which, by the way, I should have won, but I didn't. Um, but I was cutting it up, right? I mean, should, you were there. I should have won it. Should I, anyway, I was cutting an onion, though, right? And a few things uh, come to mind when you're cutting an onion, if you've cut an onion before. First of all, uh, there's lots of layers. Like, if you didn't notice that, right? So when you first peel, it's like layer after layer after layer. The other thing is like it takes a little time to dice. Like, so if you're wanting to make things small, like you gotta do it the right way. It takes a little bit of time. It also makes you cry, right? And for me, some of you may not be as sensitive, but like I was just like in tears just because of the onions, right? And then the last thing is, uh, but the cool thing is, right, it, it adds flavor. So by itself, onion is not great. I don't think personally raw onion, but when it's mixed in a chili other things, like it, it, it gives vibrancy. Do you eat raw onion, Gary? Is that why you were? smirking actually my daughter does believe it or not i've seen her eat raw onion and i'm like what is wrong with you um well here's here's why i share that i think our series that we're starting in the book of ecclesiastes that i'm titling the search for meaning is going to be a little bit like that onion that i was cutting first of all like an onion the book of ecclesiastes has lots of layers and what happens is you're gradually peeling back layer by layer uh, what the message, the overall message of Ecclesiastes is. It does not reveal everything right away. It is a gradual unveiling where what is required is to gradually peel away what is an extended sermon for like 12 chapters. So this, by the way, I just wanted to point this out. This will infuriate some of you because you're the ones who always read the last page of the book to find out what happened. Uh, resist this. Okay, let the layers of Ecclesiastes come to you. I want you to feel the tension as it kind of comes, and hopefully you'll feel this a little bit. Some of you also, like, you prefer, if you're familiar with the Bible, you prefer the writings of, say, Paul or his style, which is much more logical and systematic, and you're like, give me the logic. Well, guess what? Wisdom literature, which is what Ecclesiastes is, hits different. You're not going to like that if that's kind of what your style is, Okay. Uh, second of all, it takes some time to dice and you will cry at times. Okay. Um, as, uh, as one author put it, Zach Eswine, he's an author and a pastor. He says, Ecclesiastes confronts us with our wills. You are going to read things. You're going to study things that disturb, that disrupt, that may even surprise, even if they affirm your own experience in this life. And so, again, as he also goes on to say in his book on Ecclesiastes, Zach S. One says, we will have to look at things that we don't like. And the author kind of just puts it in your face. Last thing, onions are really good for chili, okay? Like, I, you mix it in, right? This is God's word. Ecclesiastes is a part of God's word. That's what we believe uh, here at Oregon. And so we also trust in that this is good for us as human beings, and there's so much to say, and we'll kind of, again, pull back the layers a little bit at a time about seeing this goodness. But I'll simply start here again uh, from Zach Eswine, who I think is super helpful. Uh, at least he has been so far for me. He says this, Ecclesiastes determines to show us how to find our way amid the broken sacredness of the world. So I'm going to end there. I'm going to read our passage for us. We're just going to read the first 11 verses of chapter 1 kind of as a, uh, as a starting point. So here's God's word, okay? The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. 
What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows, excuse me, to the south and goes round to the north. Round and round goes the wind and on its circuit the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those The flowers fade, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of the Lord is fading forever. Let me pray. God, I don't know where each of us is coming tonight um, to a new semester. Perhaps some of us are excited to be here. Perhaps some of us wish we were uh, not here, back home, back on break. Regardless of where we are, God, I pray that through your word, you would superintend this time, that you would meet with us through the use of your word and the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. I do this, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I used to, uh, I used to hate flying. Um, now, I still don't always love it because I get motion sickness. Some of you all know that. That's why like, I drive everywhere. So regardless of kind of where I'm going, and it works out because my wife hates driving. So I like driving because I, I you know, get motion sickness. But I've learned to appreciate flying a lot more than I used to. And one of the things that I love most is, uh, is getting that coveted window seat. I'm a window seat guy. Who's a window seat person? Got any window seat people? And then who are my aisle people? Uh, any middle people? If you're a middle person, you're weird, Matt, of course. Because um, kind of half and half. Well, I like the window seat. Uh, and, and the reason is because looking out on a day that the skies are clear is amazing, right? Uh, you, you look out and it's as if you can just see endlessly. The horizon just keeps going and going and going and going. And you look down at 35, 40,000 feet, whatever it is, everything is so small. And one of the things that I begin to think about are like the individual people in those tiny, tiny little cars, uh, or the families in those tiny, tiny houses that you see down there, or the farmer who's on his tractor tilling that land that seems so small. You see all the crop circles and the squares and all these things. It's, it's, it's kind of, it gives you sort of a microcosm, even just for a moment, I think for, for what it has to be like for God to look at the earth. Uh, he created it, he sustained it, and so, so the Bible says, and, and it's like as if he's looking down and he sees how small and how vulnerable his creation is. It's like we get just a taste of that as we're in that airplane. Uh, that I am just one person amidst this massive world. And so for me, and sometimes when I'm on that plane, it kind of puts my problems into perspective for a bit. Like, oh wow, my problems are really small in comparison to the grand scheme of this world. But while I can put my, uh, my problems into perspective, if I'm honest, it also kind of freaks me out a bit uh, because we're small. You are just one person amidst a massive world. Just think about IU. IU is a big campus. You're one, one amongst tens of thousands. And then our university is one among tens of thousands in the, in the entire world. And then Bloomington, a small town amongst tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of, of cities, towns. 
We live in a single time and place through generations and generations of people through the ages. So kind of like, what do we do with this? As we look out and as we look down, what comes to mind is like, okay, I'm pretty small and insignificant. That's kind of comforting. It kind of freaks me out, right? Well, this first part of Ecclesiastes, what it so much is designed to do for us is to put us in our place. To help you see, guess what? You are actually small and insignificant. You are not as big of a deal as you think you are. Now, for many of us, this is not what you've been told your whole life, okay? Uh, I came across an article that is totally worth reading, and I mentioned this at church on Sunday at Hope Church. Uh, it's called The Near Unbearable Burden of, Meaning, of, of Making Meaning. And in it, uh, they quote an author named Alan Noble. And here's what, uh, here's what they said. That I think this is, the, this is the message that you've been fed. So many young people are told, your life is a project and your task is to make it interesting and meaning and beautiful and to change the world. In other words, you're a big deal. You need to be a big deal. So pursue being a big deal. But he goes on, the author. They're told, you can do it. But you can also mess up. Right? You can also fail. That's a lot of pressure. Pressure that I'm guessing a lot of you even feel. Well, the author of the article goes on, because today's options are endless, which by the way, if you haven't noticed that, your options are endless. Many become stuck in choice paralysis. Young people really do want to succeed in life. You all are people who want to succeed. But they realize they are likely to fail and ultimately decide to bow out, out of the meritocracy, asking, why bother trying? Why bother trying? I'm guessing a room with this many people, knowing that I was in that very seat, even here at IU as a student, uh, that some of you are here now or maybe soon that in all of that hamster wheel performance treadmill of life, you're asking the, a question, why am I even bothering? Why bother? You're in good company because the book of Ecclesiastes affirms this question. It asks that very question. Look at verse two. It's not in the form of a question. Sorry, uh, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. But read verse two, first of all. He affirms the meaninglessness of this life. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He's affirming that question, why bother? And we'll get on to that, especially in a minute in verse three. First of all, we need to know um, this word vanity comes back a lot in this book. So uh, what in the world does it mean? And it's, and it's very elusive, no pun intended. But uh, the word means kind of elusive. It literally means in the original language, vapor. So think on a cold winter's day where you sort of see your, uh, your, your breath come out and then it disappears like that, right? You try to grasp it and it just disappears. Well, there's, there's lots of things that could be sort of apply with that. But, but one thing, this is where the onion comes into play. Understanding the meaning will become clear as the, as the book progresses. But, but, but it's this kind of sense that everything seems to kind of show up ever so briefly in life, and then it disappears. So then he's kind of asking the question, so what's the point? Vanity. Everything is pointless. It just disappears. And I think y'all as students connected, I can relate to this in life too. I think it's very easy to toggle back between these two things of feeling and grasping this pointless. Like on the one hand, you're like, yeah, why bother? And then you have this kind of pride that kind of injects you, and you're like, man, I got this. 
I'm here to change the world. This is what my elementary school teacher told me. And therefore, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go get this degree and I'm going to change the world. No, you're not. Um, Ecclesiastes puts this in your face and says, no, you're not. That's not what you're designed for. Either. It kind of reminds me of uh, James chapter 4 where the author of James says, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Here's the main point at the beginning. You are small. You are finite. So what do we do with this? This is the question that I want us to ask this just for briefly tonight. What do we do with the fact that, okay, you're being told that you're small and insignificant. Well, I want you to see at the beginning of this series, as you start the goodness of facing this reality of this truth. I want you to see the goodness of that. And then I want you to see the goodness of receiving the gift. And we'll talk more about what this gift is. It kind of plays out in different, uh, different ways in this passage. But the first thing is, he really is putting this message front and center from the very beginning. Facing the truth that you are small and insignificant. Now, for some of you, this is like really affirming. Because this is actually affirming your experience, your confusion, your, your pain, uh, your experiences in life. It's like, you're like, man, this isn't a Bible. This is cool. Others of you are like, uh, I don't really want to face this. Like, this is, this, make, this is already making me squirmy and uncomfortable. And that's okay if you're in either one of those places. But one of the first questions that I want to kind of throw out to you that, uh, that we see in this passage is, is what you do that really that big of a deal? That's really what we see in verse 3. Go to verse 3 with me. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is really just a rhetorical question on the part of the writer uh, to engage us, to get us to kind of answer our own question. And the answer to that question is, what do you gain? Well, duh, nothing. You gain nothing. Okay? That's what he's kind of getting at. And so, yes, God does go there. That's the remarkable thing about what I love that Zach Eswine, the way he talks about Ecclesiastes in his book. God is able and willing to go there. Life under the sun isn't tidy. Contradictions abound within human beings in the world. And the preacher, he says, uh, does not shy away from these kinds of questions. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, of course. Uh, I mean, uh, uh, sure, I gain things. Like, I gain satisfaction. I gain a sense of accomplishment. There's progress. But here's the thing. Does it last? No, it doesn't last. It's just like that vapor. You get a project done. You're done. You, maybe you get that A in that class. Guess what? We have another assignment now. Next one comes. You forget about the old one. What becomes front and center? That new assignment. That sense of accomplishment and satisfaction does not stay. But more than what we do, even the essence of who we are. Second question for you. Is who you are really that significant? And the preacher shows us our smallness and its insignificance in kind of an interesting way by pointing us to the rhythms and the circular nature of the natural world around us. That's kind of what's happening in verses 4 through 7. So if you want to, yeah, it's behind me. So verse 4, the wind blows to the south and goes round to the north. Round and round goes the wind, and on its circuit the wind returns. Um, Actually, sorry, I totally messed that up. Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes. The earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes, hastens to the place, and then the wind, and then the streams run to the sea, verse 7, but the sea is not full to the place where the streams flow, but there they flow again. What's happening here? Verse 4, he's talking about, hey, people are born, people die, the earth is still here. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun sets, the same old thing happens. Verse 6, the wind goes over there, the wind goes over here, and then guess what? It comes back once again to the same place again. It's aimless. Verse 7, the waters flow. 
You got to think about the Mississippi going down into the Delta area, into the ocean. It just keeps flowing and it keeps flowing and it keeps flowing, right? It's kind of endless. And the preacher concludes, look at verse 8 with me. All things are full of weariness. If the world around me does these kinds of things, like what is the point of my life? Now, of course, it's not to say that we don't try to go after the newest, most flashy and sexy thing that we think will fulfill us, that we want, what promises, that it's like, okay, if I finally get that, then I'll be good. I have no idea what that noise is. Just ignore it. Um, but if, we, if we're all honest, we know that even that's going to fall short. And that's exactly what the preacher says in verses 9 and 10. Okay? What has been, what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. Right? Just think about all the new things that, that the world pushes to you. Okay? New technology does come. There's no doubt. Okay? It does come. Advances are made. But the reality is you as humans and you and me, we stay the same. Nothing's different. Uh, I, this reminds me of a time that I bought, uh, I bought new, new golf clubs in seminary, okay? Uh, really stupid because when you're like not, you know, you're in seminary, you're not, I mean, granted my wife was working, but like we were not wealthy. So for me to go about and spend $700 on new golf clubs was really dumb. But I was like, man, I need these. I need these. And so I went out and bought them. Now, this many years later, I'm like, you know, I need something different. It's just, it's just, I'm not striking the ball quite as well as I would like to. Uh, I think I need that new set that came in that golf magazine, the 2023 Hot List and Golf Digest. That's what I need. Right? How many times has that exact story played out in your life? If I get this, I'll be good. No, you won't. And social media in our consumerist age, this is exactly what you're fed. Just think about Instagram, okay? And what you see with your friends and the ads they put up. I need that new hair on that girl. Oh my gosh. I need that new body. I need that new vaca- I need that vacation right now. I need that new boyfriend or girlfriend. If I just had that, I'd be good. I need that new iPhone 14. Oh, but 15 comes out next year. <laughs> the summary in verse 11 is there, right? There's no remembrance of former things, meaning all the things in the past are going to be forgotten. He goes on to even say, though, nor will there be remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. In other words, even the people, think about your kids that you're going to have. They're going to be forgotten, just like you. That's what he's saying. Kind of depressing. Let me tell you a story about Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, one of the best basketball players in today's time, okay? Uh, Drafted the Seattle Supersonics in 2007. He's been around for a little while. NBA Rookie of the Year, um, he, uh, who's he even play for? It's not even the Golden State Warriors. I'm not keeping up with the NBA. Who's he play for? The Nets. Yeah, he plays for the Nets. Okay. Four-time NBA scoring champion, six-time All-NBA first team, nine-time NBA All-Star. I mean, the accolades keep going, okay? He gets paid about $43 million a year. I just looked it up today. This guy's good. He's got rings. He's got medals. He's got money. He's got accolades. He has pursued his dream, the lifestyle that goes with it. He's got it. He's won. He has arrived to the dream of being an NBA star. Here's what's interesting about Kevin Durant after winning his first NBA championship. Here's what he said earlier. This is in 2018, just over four years ago. Listen to these words. After winning that championship last season, I learned that not much had changed. I thought it would fill a certain void. It didn't. 
some of you maybe have heard this before from me. Jim Carrey, actor Jim Carrey, similar success, right? Similar money, pursue, 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 success, lots of money, status, excess. Here's what Carrey said a few years ago to all that. You know what? I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of. Why? So they can see that it's not the answer. Here's what the, I share these stories because they capture something of what is true of the human experience the book of Ecclesiastes wants to throw in your face right at the beginning. And that is what you do, who you are, and any new shiny thing that you go after will ultimately be insignificant. It is insignificant. So a few takeaways to start off our time in Ecclesiastes. I'm just going to give you a few free things here, okay? One, take yourself less seriously, okay? Maybe some of you are in a place of, I must do this, I will do this, I must matter, I have to make myself matter. Or maybe you're on the other end of that spectrum of, I'm a complete failure, I'm a terrible person, I suck at life. Regardless of where you are, take yourself less seriously. Some of you also, in a similar manner, need to hear this. Not all of you, but some of you do. Take your studies less seriously. No, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't work hard. We're going to talk more about this as time goes on, okay? But some of you put way too much in your studies. Way too much. For why? Verse 3 tells us, what's the point? What's the game? Nothing. Doesn't mean that your work doesn't matter. We're going to find that out later as time goes on. Remember, onion, okay? Third thing, take inventory of all the useless things that you pursue, especially with your time. Maybe, and I do this and it's really embarrassing, I'm not going to tell you. Uh, maybe go on your phone and look, look at your screen time. But think about social media and all the stuff that you buy. Take inventory of all the useless stuff. And then ask yourself finally, this is the last thing I just want to sort of give you as a takeaway. Are you getting weary of it all? Because here's what I just want to say. If you are getting a little weary that's actually not necessarily a bad place to be. In fact, that could be very well a mark of maturity because you are then in that point, if you're like, man, this is just like pointless. You're now not denying the realities of living in a fallen world where everything often feels that way. That's not a bad thing. That's seeing the truth as what this broken world is. So, what do we do with our finitude? The first thing is that I want to sort of get out to you is face the truth. Second thing very quickly is receive the gift. Receive the gift that is this book of Ecclesiastes. First of all, receive the gift of the message. We will unfold more and more as we dive deeper as to what this is. Uh, we believe that this is God's word. Yes, it's going to be different for some of you all, but it is no less a gift from God who has inspired these words. Wisdom literature is a different animal. But uh, as one author put it, it is one of God's gift to help us live in the real world. Let me repeat that again. This book is one of God's gift to help us live in the real world. He goes on to say, we pretend we're in control and we all we're so good at pretending that we're in control. And here's what he goes on to say. Ecclesiastes sets out to demolish our pretense by confronting us with reality. Some of you are like, preach it. I'm tired of all the pretense. I think your generation a lot, even more so, is you're like, you don't want the, the BS. Sorry, I almost said something else. Um, you're tired of the BS. 
That's not a bad thing. Two, receive this gift as the means that it is. It may provoke, it may bother you. Maybe it'll make you kind of depressed. I'm going to be honest. As I was kind of prepping for this a little bit, I'm kind of like, man, this kind of makes me feel depressed. Not going to lie. Um, well, I'm going to just provide a little caveat parentheses here. If you ever find yourself there, like I'm happy to talk to you, okay? Like depression is a real thing. I've struggled with it at different points in life. Um, and, and, and this book is going to hopefully affirm some of that of like, hey, this is, this is real. Um, but it, if, if that does come up and pops up, please come talk to me. But it is meant to draw out and then gradually show how life works best. So give yourself to the process. Uh, think of it less like a microwave, which is what our, our culture wants and likes, and more like a crock pot. Think of it like smoking meat. If, any, if, you're, if you're like me and you like good barbecue, it takes a long time to smoke good meat, okay? Um, and which means you have to wait and you have to allow the book to be what it is. And, and, and there are ways uh, and there are methods by which the preacher is seeking to do this. Um, and, and, and a few of the things that, uh, that again, Zach S1 kind of points out to that, that shows us the means by which this happens is for one thing, it gives us the voice of lament. Um, he, he, he says in his book, there are worth, there are things worth crying about in this world. And he, he wants to give you permission to actually go there. Um, and, and as we'll also see, I think he goes on to say in his book, the, the earthly things, uh, that you and I so often go to are not the problem. What we try to do with them is we're trying to use them from a gain that they cannot and were not ever intended to provide. And that's what I hope that you begin to see and that all of us see is that the, the, the simple pleasures of life are not, are not bad. In fact, they're, they're really good. But what we do with them is significant. And that's where the meaninglessness does come out. And so the last thing I want to say that we need to receive the gift of is that is the sage. The wisdom of this preacher. Now concerning the authorship, some of you may, uh, may know this or may not. Like uh, Many people think, uh, have over time thought that this comes from uh, King Solomon. And part of that comes from those first words of, uh, of the son of David, king in Jerusalem. There's a lot of questions as to whether that's really the case, even more so today. Regardless, I love what J.I. Packer says. And he says, the sermon is certainly Solomonic in the sense that it teaches lessons which Solomon had unique opportunities to learn. So regardless of whether he wrote it or not, this is kind of not the point. But if you remember King Solomon, what did King Solomon do? This is a guy who had everything, wisdom, riches, women, everything. And he went out and he searched for everything that he could have, did not withhold a pleasure. And he still found himself coming up short. And so ultimately, we're going to be pointed to a greater sage than Solomon. Read, listen to Zach S. Wine's word one more time. As we read and enter the wreck of all of life, we will be led time and time again from Ecclesiastes to Jesus Christ. It is Jesus, after all, who is the true king and the true son of David that Solomon foreshadows. One, quote, greater than Solomon is here, Jesus proclaimed in the Gospel of Matthew. And so in Solomon, we see a foretaste of the true sage, Jesus. And therefore, the language, the teachings, the footsteps, the cross, the resurrection of Jesus will inform our reading. And indeed, it will as we make our way through. Let me close with this story. Uh, a friend of mine uh, read a story some time ago, and, uh, and he wasn't really sure if, how, how historically accurate it was, but it's a good story nonetheless. So here I'm going to tell you. 
That's about Leonardo da Vinci. Leonardo da Vinci, uh, you may know his uh, famous painting, The Last Supper, right? Okay. It's the painting of Jesus, his disciples that are gathered there at the last meal that they would eat before Christ was put to death. And, uh, and if you're familiar with it, then you know that Jesus' hands are outstretched. And, and what's in his hands? Nothing, right? There's, it's empty, okay? Well, there's a story uh, that da Vinci dedicated uh, three years to this painting because he was determined to make it his crowning uh, work. But before he unveiled it, he decided to show it to a friend whose opinion he really respected. And so uh, the, the friend's praise, though, uh, was really quite interesting. He said, the cup in Jesus' hand, he said, is especially beautiful. And so disappointed, Da Vinci's like, I'm going to paint out the cup. He's astonished at this friend who gave him the opinion. And, and so the friend asked for an explanation. He's like, why, why did you just take out the cup that was so beautiful? And Da Vinci's response apparently was, nothing, nothing must distract from the figure of Christ. Nothing. This is my desire for you, for me, for us in this series, is that the center of it would be Christ. That as one author put it, Christ is the gain that the world cannot provide. That you will see the utter meaninglessness of the things that you pursue, the smallness of your own life. But what I long for you and for me is that we will come away from the semester, through this journey, treasuring Jesus more. And perhaps even for some of you, if you don't know Jesus, treasuring him perhaps for the first time. Because what this book is designed to do is to orient us properly as creatures who belong to a creator. We do not belong to ourselves. We are made for another. And while this world has been made beautiful, it is broken. And you feel that. I know you do. But there's something better than Jesus. And that's what I hope will be.